What a privilege to worship the one, the only one that will reign forever and ever. Now, I know it feels like it's July outside, but we are in the middle of an Advent series inside, a series we've entitled The Wonder of His Love. So we've looked at Old Testament grace, New Testament grace, and today we're going to look at future grace. So Jesus in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, and today Jesus in the eternity, or Jesus in heaven. Now there's two main reasons for this today. And the first is that we're all rattled. We're all unsettled and troubled by what's going on around us. And this December feels just a little different, a little off-center. We look at the violence around us, at the hate, and it's just, well, it's unsettling. And we look around and we think, you know, things are getting worse. They're not getting better. And we're worried. We're worried about our future. We're worried about our children's future. We're worried about our culture and cultures, our world. Where's all this going? What's going on? Is the craziness going to stop? We're unsettled. Now, because I love you, I want to remind you that if Christmas means anything, it means that this isn't the final chapter. This isn't the end game. Not even close. If Christmas means anything, it means that we serve a dissatisfied Redeemer who is zealous for one goal, to make all things new, to usher in future grace, the final redemption and renewal of all things, heaven. And we need hope. The people in your families need hope. The, the people around you that you work with in your neighborhood desperately need hope. What is Christmas hope? Christmas hope is that Jesus Christ who came once is coming again. Again. And he will make all things new starting with you and me. Now there's a, a second reason uh, for focusing on heaven today in this Advent series. Not only are, are we rattled, uh, but we're forgetful. Really forgetful. And in this area, we are eternity amnesiacs. Forget about heaven all the time. Now the Bible, or, or never, I should say it this way, never mind that the Bible says, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, that God has placed eternity in the human heart, right in the center of the human heart, eternity, heaven. And as a result, what that means is all of us hope for, long for, feel like there's got to be something more. It's the way God hardwired us. He hardwired us for eternity. but we repeatedly lose the forest for the trees. Now, we may wear a computer on our wrist, 
but we lack wisdom. Perspective. Because we've lost sight. We've forgotten eternity. Years ago, the business consultant Stephen Covey made a, false made a small fortune by saying, begin with the end in mind. And what he meant was, is you can't go in the right direction unless you know the final destination. And nowhere is that more important but more universally ignored than when it comes to the spiritual realm. Now, a, a digression of sorts. There are three ways to respond to God. Only three. Religion, irreligion, and the gospel. Now, religion is trying to merit heaven through moralism. Uh, you, you develop a, 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 a moral righteousness. You, you think and you present it to God uh, in a way to prove that you deserve heaven. It's called religion. Irreligion is different. Uh, often called relativism. It's rejecting God all uh, together and choosing to carve out any way you want, any way you want to live. Now both religion and irreligion avoid Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, the problem with religion though is it looks as if people are trying to do God's will and in irreligion they just don't care. Now the gospel, the third way, is different. Uh, the gospel is people uh, responding to God by faith, embracing the free offer of forgiveness and eternal life and, and salvation that God freely gives us in Jesus Christ through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, knowing, unlike the religious types, that we're not able to save ourselves, and unlike the irreligious types, that there is no meaning, there is no purpose, there is no future without Christ. Now I say this because it's only this third way, this gospel way, that enables you and me to go in the right direction. Because it's only this uh, third way uh, that accurately considers the human emergency sin and clarifies the final destination, the future grace that is ours for all who believe, called heaven. But honestly, we don't care that much. We're forgetful. We're eternity amnesiacs. And so what happens is when the pressure mounts, when life begins to feel like it's spinning out of control, uh, when circumstances get heated, hot, complicated, uh, uh, difficult, uh, what happens is we get overwhelmed, we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of heaven, and we lose sight of the fact that this life, this life is just but a brief moment. So very brief. Now, I want you to watch this two-minute video. 
It's video of something I've been showing. Every place I've been going lately, showing it to other church staffs as I've spoken to them. And I just love this video. I've got a son that's at Clemson. This is the head coach of Clemson University, a secular university, a committed Christ follower who's asked by a reporter how he's responding to pressure. Now listen to what Dabo Sweeney, the Christ follower, says, head coach of the secular university, number one college football team in the country. Let's watch it. The season is going right now. Uh, do you feel any kind of pressure? Do you think the team may feel any kind of pressure? The success you're having right now. You know, I just laugh at that stuff. I mean, and I and I understand the question. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being rude. I understand the question, but I, you know, I, my best friend is a guy named P.J. Tessman. All right, uh, who I grew up with, and uh, you know, I get on the phone with him last night, and his mom, uh, sweet mama. That's what we call her, Miss Tess, sweet mama. Uh, she's, she just goes to the doctor and finds out that she's got very advanced lung cancer. And, you know, they don't really know what they're going to be able to do. And, you know, his job just, just kind of shut down, and so now he's looking for a new job. And just, you know, that's pressure. Do I feel pressure about a football game? No, man. Turn the TV on. You got 150 people killed and slaughtered in Paris. You know, you got problems in this world. Football is not pressure. I mean, this is a game. And that's the message that I try to instill in our players all the time is, golly, you know, first of all, enjoy the, the, this moment, this brief, brief, brief moment in your life to play a game that your body's not going to allow you to play forever, even if you go to the NFL. Uh, enjoy this this brief moment of the relationships that you have and just your time at Clemson, but also understand that that through this game you have a chance to bring some joy to people who really have pressure in their life, who really have problems. I mean, what what kind of pressure do I have? I mean, give me a break. I mean, you know, it just I love what I do, uh, and and it's important. But, you know, when, when, when you have the cross as the foundation of your life, football ain't going to bring no pressure. Yeah. Amen. Now, did you hear the hope and did you hear the wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing that the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified, is the foundation of your life and that he is coming again. And this life, the realities of heaven and hell, which are eternal, but this life, this life is just a brief moment. And if you don't keep that front and center, then all you're left with is the emptiness the narcissism and the violence of either religion or irreligion. And it's only the third way. It's the only the gospel that is the source of wisdom and hope. Now let me show you how central heaven is to Christmas. So grab a Bible, turn on your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you. And let's go to Luke uh, the third gospel, chapter 1. It's page 1025 in the Bibles in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. 
If you need a Bible, it's our Christmas gift to you. You can take it. Just bring it back next Sunday. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. In the sixth month, God, this is just wild. I, I, I mean, why, I love the craziness of the Bible. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now notice how specific the author is being. He wants us to understand this is not religious fiction. For a long time, I thought the Bible was religious fiction. He's telling us the town, the name of the town. He's telling us the name of the angel. The angel comes to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled. I would have been on my back, on the floor, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. That was pretty weak, but you did okay. His kingdom, now notice this, his kingdom will never end. Here it is, from the mouth of the angel Gabriel. 30, 31 uh, years before Jesus ever begins his public ministry, Gabriel comes and tells this ordinary, probably high school age, uh, young woman by the name of Mary, what, 15, 16? We don't know for sure. Who knew, by the way, Mary knew nothing of privilege, wealth, status, royalty. Uh, who, she lived in this backwater town, Nazareth, an inconsequential burg relative to the mighty Roman Empire. And what does Gabriel tell her? Mary, you're going to have a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. If you go back to the Old Testament, to King David, this title, the Son of the Most High, was a title David repeatedly used to refer to God's greatness, God's divine royalty, if you will. And finally, Gabriel says to Mary, this is just young, young girl. Your son's kingdom, by the way, it's going to last forever. It will never end. Heaven. Heaven. The infinity of that promise. Heaven is central to the angel's announcement at Christmas. Uh, right at the, the center, central to the angel's announcement about Christmas. And we need to think about this because at Christmas, uh, we celebrate the mystery of the incarnation, that God became a man in Jesus Christ, that a deity, a, a divinity showed up naked in a manger. But we must never forget that Jesus came with the promise of a forever kingdom, a future grace that would go on forever. Gabriel is saying to Mary, Mary, this life isn't all 
there is. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our wisdom. And in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. No wonder 270 years ago, the greatest theologian America has ever produced, a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards, said, spend this life only as a journey toward heaven. Now, to Mary's credit, Mary gets, she hears, she understands what the angel is saying. She personalizes it. She lets Gabriel's words sink into the core of her being. So look at what she sings. Look at the words in her song of praise. Let's pick it up in verse 52. He that is God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Uh, God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants. And here it is forever. Mary heard the angel. Mary understands that we're talking about time that would never end. So Mary worships the King of Kings, God, by celebrating the forever nature or the eternality of his kingdom. And so what is my point? My point is this future grace, this focus on heaven forever is central to Christmas. Gabriel announced it, Mary sang it. Now that raises the question, well, um, what does the Bible say about heaven? Uh, what's it like? What's it going to be? What's it look like? So what I want to do is help us get down the road a little by saying a, a couple of things. Actually, I'm going to talk about four aspects of heaven. So here we go. Number one, heaven begins with the second coming, that is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, let's stay in Luke for a bit, and I want you to turn to Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, so just turn ahead a few chapters in verse 22. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And we know from our perspective, there is no way the disciples understood what Jesus is about to say. But look at this. This is so rich. The time is coming uh, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That's a reference to himself, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day. Now here Jesus is talking about his second coming. Jesus is on earth. He's referring to the fact that he's going to come again. In his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, now this is a reference to his first coming, his present coming. He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So here Jesus in just a couple verses is distinguishing between his first and his second coming. The first coming is to suffer and die. Uh, That's verse 25. Uh, The second is in verse 24, the previous verse. And it's different. The second coming is totally different than the first because it's going to be way more public and visible. Jesus says everybody's going to see it because it's just going to be like lightning in the sky. 
As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says everyone will see the second coming and they will see Jesus descend on the clouds with his angels in great power and glory. And the book of Revelation adds he will descend riding a great white horse. At his second coming, the Bible tells us Jesus will defeat Satan, defeat everyone who opposes him, he will judge all people, sending some people to heaven, other people to hell. So what does Christmas mean? Christmas means there's a first coming and a second coming. A present grace and a future grace. Now let's continue. The second thing I want you to see is that following the second coming... Future grace uh, means God is going to make everything new. Everything new. Now, uh, let's go to the end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 21. And um, we're going to pick up this section that Katie read. Revelation chapter 21. It's easy to find because it's the la second to last chapter in the Bible. Let's look, we're going to look at a couple verses here, but let's begin with 1 and 2. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. It's why I like lakes. It was a, sorry. <laughs> I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, you may, you may be here, and I'm sure there's some of you that are just like I was. You may be here, and you don't know what to think of the Bible. I mean, is the Bible really God's word, or is it just a bunch of religious fiction full of historical inaccuracies? Man, I, I, that's where I was for the longest time. And, and if that's where you are right now, I just want to say to you, that's fine. But I want you to hear what the Bible says about heaven. It's just so cotton-picking interesting. So cool. And what these two verses tell us is that to our surprise, heaven is going to be a physical place. God isn't going to destroy the earth. He's going to restore it, remake it. And so we who are believers in Christ will live in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Jesus enjoying a resurrected Jerusalem and resurrected relationships and resurrected culture and resurrected food and drink and trees and, and, and water and resurrected art and travel and work and recreation and worship and on and on. So your fear, my fear that heaven's going to be this boring thing and so we just dismiss it couldn't be further from the truth. Heaven is the doorway to where dreams, adventure, and joys expand forever and ever. And so this means for us as, as Christ followers, hear me, the day you die will be the best day of your life. Bar none. The day you die, if you know Jesus Christ, will be the best day of your life. 
It will be the beginning of future grace. And when I focus on that as a man, it fills me with hope and it fills me with wisdom because it puts everything in perspective and it clarifies what really matters. Now, uh, let me take this a step further. Let me go under the surface and let's go back uh, to um, Ephesians that was also read. And I want you to see how Paul uh, relates, uh, ties together heaven and and grace. So look on the, the screen at Ephesians 2 verses 6 and 7. Paul is writing and he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable or incomparable riches of his grace. Now do you see that? Do you hear what the apostle Paul is saying? Now now think of the waves of an ocean. Picture them in your mind. And then multiply those times a thousand. What Paul is saying is that's what we will experience with waves and waves of grace in heaven. So he uses the word incomparable. And the word riches. So if you have come to Christ, if you are trusting in Christ and Jesus alone to save you, forgive you, to change you, to deliver you, if you've embraced the third way, the gospel way, and you're done with your religion and religion, then you will have two opportunities to live on earth. This one right now, which is just a dot, it's temporary, it's fleeting, And then in the new earth, which is like a line. Think of a dot versus a line. But the line continues, and we can't get our minds around this, forever and ever and ever. And I'll say it again. The day you die will be the best day of your life. So begin, please, please, please begin this December 2015 with the end in mind. With the end in mind, your mind. Because this is where hope and this is where wisdom is born. It's what, by the way, enables you to handle loss. You put it in perspective. It's what humbles you in success. You have perspective. It's what keeps you from pride. It enables you to see through these idols, these hollow idols that have our culture by the throat of materialism and sex and power. It's what enables you to be patient. Knowing your best days are ahead. You don't have to have it all now. It's what enables a a church like ours in just a couple of weeks at the end of December uh, to raise, to receive $2.3 million because we're not tied to this life. We're living for heaven. Third, what we also know is that as believers, we will live, get this, 
in the very presence of God. So look at verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and women. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you notice the language? It keeps repeating this thought that God's going to be with us. It's almost like the author knows we can't believe it. It's too good to be true. So he keeps telling us God's going to be with us. We're going to be in the presence of God. Now heaven will be the experience of one miracle after another. I can't wait. But the greatest miracle will be being in the presence of God. So uh, get at it this way. Think of the very best experiences in your life. Uh, maybe it's your honeymoon. Maybe it was this incredible vacation. Uh, these relationships, uh, family times, time with friends. The, the best experiences uh, of your life, your, your best Christmases. Then multiply those times millions. And in heaven you will have that with God. All of that. The essence of heaven is the presence of God. This is just so cool. Uh, skip ahead to verse 22 in chapter 21. Uh, the point is the same here, it's just said differently. So John writes, I did not see a temple in the city. This is a reference John is speaking as a Jew uh, to the Old Testament temple. I didn't see a temple in Jerusalem because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now in the Old Testament, God's presence would reside in the temple. And as a result, access to the temple was limited. Limited to one man, the high priest, one day a year. I mean, really limited. Now the fact that we are told there is no temple in heaven... Uh, because God the Father and Jesus the Lamb are the temple, suggests that unlike the Old Testament, in contrast to the Old Testament, we will enjoy unimpeded access to God forever. Look how Randy Alcorn in his wonderful book, Heaven, puts it. God's glory will be the air we breathe and we'll always breathe deeper to gain more of it. In the new universe, we'll never be able to travel far enough to leave God's presence. If we could, we'd never want to. However great the wonders of heaven, God himself is heaven's greatest prize. And heaven will at last be freed of self-righteousness and self-deceit. We'll no longer question God's goodness. We'll see it, savor it, enjoy it, and declare it to our companions. Surely we will wonder how we could have ever doubted his goodness. For then our faith will be sight. We shall see God. We shall be with God. All right, fourth. This future grace means all, 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 every microcosm of pain and suffering will cease, will be obliterated, will be gone. This is chapter 21 and verse 4. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
In heaven, there will never be any death, disease, poverty, pollution, addiction, abuse, terrorism, tragedy, none of it. In heaven, we will be reunited with believing loved ones. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness to Jesus Christ here on earth. We will be released from all the brokenness that dogs all of us. And we will be reassigned to serve and to work in ways that will thrill us. So what, what is hope? What is wisdom 2015 in this chaotic world, crazy world we live in look like? It's spending your life only as a journey toward heaven. Heaven. It's Christmas. Now, got to tie up a loose end. Let's go back to the beginning. I said there are three ways to respond to God, religion, your religion, and, and the gospel. And the natural question is, why is the gospel the only right way? Why is the gospel the only uh, way to heaven? And so I want to show you something here in the book of Revelation. Turn to the last chapter, chapter 22. And look at verse 1. We'll read a couple of verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as, as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the lamb. He's referred to as the lamb twice in these three verses I just read. Why? Why is Jesus called the lamb? Well, it's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a, a metaphor for his death on the cross in our place for our sins. Drawn on the ancient Old Testament imagery of the sacrificial lamb. So the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as our uh, substitute, as our sacrificial lamb who alone satisfies the wrath of God directed toward human sin is the only way to heaven because it's our sin that separates us from a holy God. It's being, the, let's say I'm standing on the shore of Los Angeles. Got a couple kids live in Los Angeles. I'm standing on the shore of Los Angeles right here and I'm trying to swim to Hawaii. How am I going to do? I'm not going to do very well swimming to Hawaii. Uh, uh, the gap between my sin standing here and the righteousness of God, Hawaii, is, is, is too great. You can't swim to heaven. You can't work your way. The gap is too great. So God in his grace sent Jesus to the cross to receive in our place the rejection, rejection, the condemnation, the wrath 
that we deserve so that when we believe in Jesus, we receive the blessings, the acceptance, the righteousness he deserves. Jesus takes our sin, we get his righteousness. That's why the gospel is the only way. On the cross, let me say it differently. On the cross, God turned his back on his son so that all of us who believe, God would never turn his back on a one of us. He did that on the cross. You and I are so sinful that Jesus had to die. We're so loved by God that Jesus was glad to die. Glad. To rescue you. And so here we are at Christmas. And if Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is at the center of heaven, then the key, the key, the key to life that unlocks all the future grace is you keeping him at the center of your life. May what's true in heaven be true on earth. So what about you this Christmas? What's at the center of your life? Is it your work? Is it... Um, a boyfriend, a, a girlfriend? Is it this problem here, this, this problem there? Is it your, your family, this issue, that issue? What's at the center of your life? Jesus is at the center of heaven. And maybe you're here and you've never come to Jesus Christ. Man, am I glad you're here. And maybe right now in these moments we've had together, God is speaking to you. And so I want you to, to know, based on the authority of God's word, that in spite of our culture's love of personal freedom and autonomy, who in the world are you to tell me what to do? And the culture strangling the life out of us because of this addiction to personal freedom and autonomy, in spite of our culture's love for that, I want you to know that you will never find hope and wisdom, meaning and purpose, community and acceptance, apart from Jesus Christ. You just won't. Because you were made for heaven, for Jesus. Jesus has come once, he is coming again. If you are here and you've never come to Christ, come to Jesus right now. Let's pray. And if God is speaking to you and you want to come to Christ now, pray with me uh, these simple words. God, I confess to you that I am a sinner And I have wandered. Thank you that Jesus died for that sin.
take me. I believe. I trust Jesus now. And change me. Forgive me and cleanse me. And Father, for the rest of us who are busy, crazy busy, would you give us the grace to keep the one who is at the center of heaven, at the center of our lives this Christmas, because he alone, we believe with everything in us, is the only source of hope and the only source of wisdom. And all God's people said, amen.